You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Let me get situated here. How are you guys doing? Good? Awesome. So I want to welcome everyone. Good morning. It's great to be worshiping here with you this morning. Um, just a, a little update on the teen ministry. If, uh, if you go in to hug them, they might be a, a little fearful. They might flinch because they were at Fright Fest last night. Maybe some residual fear there. Um, but we had a great time at Six Flags yesterday with all of our teen ministries from all over L.A., Bakersfield, Fresno, Antelope Valley. It was a really great time, uh, really the first time that we've seen everyone since teen camp. So we had a lot of fun, um, but we're in the middle of this series, and I want to welcome everyone. If this is your first time, let me get a slide going here. Um, if this is your first time, we're in the middle of a series called A Beautiful Design. And we're actually more towards the end of it. This is the second to last week. And um, if you'd like to hear some of these sermons, if you miss them, you can find them on our podcast. South Bay Church, uh, there's two different South Bay Churches. One has all the South Bay Church words put together, uh, but the one you're looking for is under Steve Marici's name. Um, so you can listen to the rest of the sermons. Um, but I also want to welcome a special guest. Keisha is here this morning. I, I mentioned a story. Say hey to Keisha. I, uh, I mentioned a, a story a few weeks ago about a Bible study we had with Jameson at Coffee Bean and Keisha came up and really was just a great example of tithing and really giving back to God. So she's here this morning. If you can uh, say hey to her and introduce yourself. Um, but uh, this, uh, this sermon series we're doing, uh, if, if, if you don't know, it's from a church in, in Texas called The Village. So we borrowed it from them. We thought it was a great theme and a great idea. And we've, we've taken the liberties to really make it our own. Um, but uh, let me give, give you a quick recap of the last three weeks. The first week, Brian did a lesson on a beautiful design. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing, and then there was something. And God would bring his, de his design to completion when he created us, humans. In verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. All of God's creation was leading up to him creating us. If we are all made in his image and his likeness, then we are equal. We are not all the same, but we are of equal value. And so there should be no barriers between us. I am no better than you, and you are no better than me. Um, and... And God, he put eternity on our hearts. You know, we were made from the dust, from the earth, and yet we have this longing for eternal life. And, uh, and God, you know, how, how do we get from dust to eternal life? Well, that's one thing we're going to be talking about today. So God's beautiful design, just in a very uh, simple nutshell, it was awesome and perfect in every way, but we managed to screw it up a little bit. Uh, week two. Man's and woman's purpose. Steve did this lesson and he talked about the three R's. Not writing, reading, and arithmetic. Uh, but the, the real three R's. Representation, responsibility, and relationship. This is our purpose. Representation made in the image of God. 
made to represent our Creator. Our responsibility, man's responsibility is to cultivate and take care of the garden, all of the animals in it, to lead his wife and to obey God's one command. In Genesis chapter 2, I'll read a few scriptures here, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Verse 20, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to Adam. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So relationship, the third R, we've been entrusted with maintaining our relationship with God. And if, if Adam had done that, then his relationship with Eve would have never been tainted. Man was created to be a cultivator and keeper, and woman was created to be a companion and suitable helper. Again, God's design for our purpose is awesome and perfect in every way. Yet, we manage to screw things up a little bit. Uh, week three, man's and woman's hurdles. Brian, this was last week, Brian talked about the first hurdle, and really the, the first sin came into the garden when man... And woman chose not to trust God's one boundary. Some boundaries make sense. We stop at red lights because if we don't, we might kill ourselves or others. But God's boundary, don't eat from that one tree. It, you know, it, it just seems, uh, it doesn't seem too harmful. But the thing we don't realize is that God's boundaries, they're meant for our own good. And His boundaries set us free. How does that make any sense? Boundaries setting us free. Well, that's a great conversation that you guys can have amongst yourself. Talk about your testimony. But Adam and Eve, um, uh, Adam and Eve breaking that one boundary, it snatched man from freedom and righteousness and catapulted us to, uh, to this is slavery and, sh and sin. Brian talked about the curses that came from this distrust in God which we'll talk about more today. God said that there would be perpetual enmity and struggle between satanic forces and humans. What a terrible downer. To go, to, to go from this relationship with God to just this, this sin and this separation. But thank God that's not the end of the story. As Brian mentioned, in God's kingdom, we can reverse this curse. Praise the Lord, God, God's design and His purpose for us. We mess things up pretty royally. But there is hope for us. Amen. So today, man's redemption, man's and woman's redemption. How God fixed all of our mess ups. When I think of the word redeem or redemption, uh, a really touching, meaning, meaningful scene from one of our favorite movies comes to mind. So I'd like to play that for us right now.
just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. You go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> Dumb and Dumber, one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, so, totally redeem yourself. So on a more serious note, let's, uh, let's look into the definition for redemption. Sometimes it's good to just look back at, a, at the true definition of a word, something that we, we've come to know for so long. Let's look at these definitions. For, de- uh, for redemption, the action of saving or being saved from error, sin, or evil. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And three, the action of buying one's freedom. So raise your hand if you'd like to be saved from sin. Right? Yes, please. Raise your hand if you'd like your debt to be cleared. Whatever debt that might, might be. Absolutely. And, and we all like freedom, right? Especially if someone else is going to somehow pay for us to be free. We don't even have to work for it. Please sign me up in a second. So we all like this concept of redemption. I think it's fair to say that we'd all like redemption in our lives in some way or another. If someone wants to clear my student loan, by all means, have at it. I don't want it. And speaking to freedom, you might feel enslaved to your jobs. So you pay for these elaborate vacations and maybe buy some new golf clubs so you can somehow buy your way to freedom and get escape from your job. Even with sin, all of us have probably tried to run away from our sin at some point. Move to a different place, make new friends, switch jobs, all in this attempt to recreate yourself. We can look for redemption in various places, people, and hobbies. If this, all, if this at all reminds you of your pursuit of redemption, then you will probably admit that you've never really truly felt redeemed, freed, cleared of debt or the baggage that you, cl- that you carried, the sin that entangled you. True redemption is found only in Christ. So with, what, what's the origin of this need for redemption? Why do we need it? Let's look in Genesis chapter 3, where we've been uh, reading out of for the last couple weeks. <clears throat> and before we, le- be- before we read, sorry, I'm really cotton mouth from uh, screaming on rides yesterday. Only two of them, but I must have done a lot of screaming. <laughs> um, so, before we read, I want to fill you on just what happened in this chapter, just to get a little context. We'll start in verse 15. Um, <clears throat> but many of you know the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're naked. There's no shame. There's no evil. No guilt. It truly is paradise. But this paradise would soon be corrupted. God told them that everything was theirs to enjoy enjoy except the fruit from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they ate fruit from that tree, they would die. Satan comes along and tells the woman that she wouldn't surely die, but that instead she'd be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. That sounds like a sweet deal. So they eat this fruit, they realize they're naked, they fashion some clothes out of fig leaves, and they hide from God. 
Now, any of you with kids, you know that there are two reasons for your kids hiding from you. The first is hide and seek. It's fun, it's enjoyable, but then you reach a point in your kid's life when they start to hide from you because they've done something wrong. And they're, they're fearful, they're embarrassed, they feel shame. And that is such, uh, it's such a, a sad time as a parent when you realize your, your kid understands this concept of hiding out of fear. And this is what happens in the garden. God's children hide from him out of shame and embarrassment and fear. What a horrible turn of events we see here. Perfectly unified with God. Not, not an ounce of shame. But then evil enters in. This shame uh, it, that they've never felt before. It suddenly strikes fear in them. And this fear causes them to hide. They are suddenly afraid of their dad. Who moments before they had a perfect union with. Satan is so stinking evil. Let's read here in verse 15. See what happens after these incidents. God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until, uh, until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. So how does God respond to his children's sin? He disciplines them. Painful labor for women, a desire for their husband. The earth is cursed, so men will work hard in painful toil all of their life to try to provide for their families. There will always be this struggle, this battle, this hostility between satanic forces and mankind. Have you ever read this passage and just and thought that God was a little bit on the harsh side? I've read it plenty of times, and there's been times I've thought, hey, they deserved it. But other times where I was like, hey, that's a little over the top, God. Really? Like no first offense, no yellow card, nothing. No grace. Since it was their first offense, you'd think there'd be something. But God was so deliberate and clear about this one boundary because he knew that it would only take one offense to launch the longest-lasting most deadly world war our, our world has ever known. The war for our souls. God wasn't trying to control Adam and Eve. He was trying to protect them and us from pain and shame and guilt, insecurity, depression, hatred, impurity, pornography, divorce, abuse, inequality, racism, war, murder, and death. Death was exactly what God told them would result. If they ate that fruit. Gosh. Think of all the death. Both, both physical and spiritual. That has resulted from crossing that one boundary. So when we think it's just. Uh, I, can, I can step over the line a little bit. Look what this one step over the line did. To all mankind. And look what Satan's lies made Eve believe. Verse 6 chapter 3.
It says, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. You know, writing this lesson, I realized how much I can buy into this lie still. How much we all can buy into this same lie that Satan told back in the garden. You know, we we can tell ourselves, I just want to experience life a little bit. I want to live it up while I'm young. And then I'll come back to my relationship with God. You're not fooling anyone, especially not God. Because we know that this really means you want to just go sin and live it up and hopefully not feel guilty for your sin. And like like Eve, we can even chalk it up to wisdom. Maybe those experiences will allow me to help others in the future. I'll have a more well-rounded perspective on life. Don't believe that lie. I'm sure there are plenty of you that can attest to the fact that going down that road leads only to pain, emptiness, guilt, and ultimately a longing for something better. That something better is God. It always has been. Look at King Solomon, the son of David. We see here uh, David... He told his son before he died in 1 Kings chapter 2, Be strong and be courageous like a man, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. So what did did this son Solomon do? Well, he was the wisest man that ever lived. He wrote three books of the Bible. Those are good things. He built the, the first temple in Jerusalem. But he also had hundreds of wives and concubines, foreign women, all this wealth you could, have, you could ever imagine. And he lived in pleasure and luxury. He certainly had some sins, some ways that he turned from God and his commands. So, at the end of his life, he, he reflects on the conclusion, what he's learned from all these experiences. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes Chapter 12, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. The wisest guy in the world, he believed this lie. He gave into it and later concluded that it was all a sham. Hoodwinked, bamboozled. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't sound wise to me either. But, but this is Solomon. I mean, you look at these words here. Keep your obligation to the Lord your God. These are David's words. And what does Solomon say? Fear God. Keep his statutes and commands. Keep his commands. Almost word for word what his dad had told him years earlier to try to protect him. So let's bring this back around. The origin of our need for redemption. It started with Adam and Eve crossing that one boundary and introducing sin into what was paradise. One of God's curses was that there would be perpetual hostility between humans and Satan. Sin is hereditary. It has been passed down to all of us. So let's look in Romans chapter 3. If you don't believe me, Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23. That's a pretty all-inclusive statement. Back in, my, back in my college days when I was an RA, it was all about inclusive statements. You know, don't, 
don't uh, um, push anyone out of a conversation by saying a word that's kind of non-inclusive. This is all inclusive. We've all sinned. We can't deny that fact. Therefore, we all need redemption. Guess what? God has a beautiful design in our redemption. We threw a massive wrench into his original design and purpose for us. But our sin is not above God's power and desire to save us. You have not sinned beyond the point of redemption. If you think you are far t- too far gone, some of us have thought that before. If you think you're too far gone, tell that thought to shut up. Tell Satan to stop accusing you. And listen to God. Literally, right now, listen to his words. As we read again in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood. And this word propitiation is about appeasing. God's wrath was upon us because of our sin. Yet Jesus stepped in and said, no, 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 no. He's not your guy. It's me you want. He took God's wrath that was meant for us and appeased it. He cleared our debt, bought our freedom, saved us from sin. He was the required ransom, the payment to buy us back into this originally designed union with God. And this word for redemption, I hope I don't butcher it. Let me grab some water real quick. This word for, for redemption, apalutos, uh, apalutrosis. There we go. This word for redemption, if you break it down, apa and lutron, there they are. Apa means separation from something. And lutron is the price for ransom. Uh, or to liberate from misery and penalty of sin. You know, in our sin, we are in bondage. The, the sin, it's a part of us. Yet with Jesus sacrificing himself, he was the lutron or the ransom that would separate us from our sin completely and liberate us from the misery and penalty of our sin. Total separation. For those of you in the medical field, a complete synectomy. Amen? (laughs) Uh, So turn a couple pages to Romans chapter 5. It says here in verse 6, we're going to read 6 through 8 and then 17 through 19. For while, you, while, while we were still helpless at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since by one, verse 17, since by one man's trespass, Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience 
the many will be made righteous. Adam, one man, brought sin into this world which has made all of us sinners. One man, Jesus came, uh, one man, that Jesus, he came to eradicate that sin. To completely wash us clean and separate us from this sin so that it would no longer have a hold on us. One man's actions launched this deadly war for our souls. And Christ's sacrifice was the final blow to put an end to the spiritual bloodshed. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, let's read again. When God cursed the serpent, he said this in Genesis 3 verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. As Brian mentioned last week by, by many scholars, this scripture is said to be a reference to Jesus' sacrifice really being the strike to the devil's head. Satan has crippled mankind, taking hold of our heel with sin. But Jesus has the final word. The K.O. punch on Satan to ultimately save us from death. And Satan, he wouldn't just be cursed. He will fall condemned as God's people stand redeemed. Through Christ alone, redemption is possible. Because as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He is the unblemished lamb. The perfect sacrifice whose blood was poured out to cover our sins. And in Romans chapter 4, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You know, I love this, uh, well, it's, it's kind of a love-hate relationship between Oswald Chambers and myself. <laughs> um, I have this, this devotional book, many of you probably know it, My Utmost for His Highest. And occasionally I'll read it, and sometimes I get really confused, and sometimes maybe my, my mind is just on point that day, and I get what he's talking about. But uh, he has some really interesting um, devotionals, and I, I read this just a few days ago, and it, it was just so fitting for uh, just this, kind of to sum up the redemption that Jesus, that we have through Jesus. It says, Jesus deliberately took upon his own shoulders and bore in his own person the whole mass sin of the human race. And by so doing, he put the whole human race on the basis of redemption. Jesus Christ rehabilitated the human race. He put it back to where God designed it to be. And anyone can enter into the union with God on the ground of what our Lord had done on the cross. A man cannot redeem himself. Redemption is from God and is absolutely finished and complete. So this is God's beautiful design for redemption. But what, what does this mean to us? How can we respond? Well, first, I have some questions for you. Is this the redemption that you have actually come to embrace? It's one thing to realize something, and it's another thing to actually do something about it. Have you put your faith in Jesus and in God's design for your redemption? Or are you looking for redemption in other things or other people? Maybe you did embrace God's plan for your redemption and you put your faith in Him and you gave your life to Him because you loved Him and you wanted to serve Him. But life can wear us down. Are you taking the redemption that you've come to know for granted 
by the way you're currently living. Getting back to what this should look like. Well, redemption, it's all about getting us back to the garden paradise. The love relationship with, with God where we can walk around fully exposed, spiritually speaking. Not feeling the need to hide because of our, our sin and shame, but truly living free with confidence in God's presence. Redemption, it's about transformation. Back to God's original purpose for man and woman. Back to His beautiful design. Remember, you were created to represent your Creator. Made in His image. We've strayed from that image. But we don't have to stray any longer. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I love this scripture talking about reflecting God's image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. It says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love this scripture. You think about it. In, in the redemption we have in Christ, we can look in a mirror. And God wants us, as we go from victory to victory, glory to glory, when we look at that image, to see more of Him and less of us. To see more of His uh, perfect image, perfect design, perfect purpose, and less of my scraggly beard or, you know, whatever it may be. That we look and we see God. That's what He wants to make us. That's what He wants to transform us to be. In the redemption in Christ. So I want you to close your eyes for a second. And don't close them like my son Zeke closes them where he's actually peeking. Close your eyes. I want to take a minute to picture a world without sin. All the pain that you've felt. Or maybe the pain that you feel right now. Gone. All your sin. All your shame. Your embarrassment. Your hatred your insecurity, completely gone. All the racism, all the inequality, the social hierarchy, completely destroyed. What remains is hope, love, peace, joy, singing, praising, genuine smiles, no masks of happiness, but pure happiness and contentment. Keep your eyes closed. Take a deep breath and slowly exhale as you think about this world without sin. This was God's beautiful design. You can open your eyes now. A couple weeks ago, we had my brother-in-law, uh, Michael, and his girlfriend, Corianne, in town. Many of you saw them here. And this was Corianne's first time to California. So, of course, we went to Hollyweird. And we walked down the, uh, the Walk of Stars and... And uh, I got that term from my dad back when we used to live here. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of you use it. But anyway, uh, we're walking down the Walk of Stars, and there is just evil all around. I mean, you guys have been there. It's like a mini Vegas strip, with, but without the nice hotels and, you know, pools and stuff. There's just evil. It's grimy. It's hot. And as adults, we're just like, man, you, you feel the pressure of, like, the darkness around you, and you're trying to look at the stars or look at each other or look up at the sky. <laughs> Um, and you're just trying to avoid this evil. And, and then suddenly, out of our stroller, we hear a sweet voice. And Zeke says, Yut, yut, a balloon. <laughs> and we look around, and there's like a star balloon or something in a window. And 
And I, just, I, I thought about it. This is a redeemed perspective. Titus 1.15. It says, to the pure all things are pure. When we're redeemed, we don't look for sin anymore. We're not naive or oblivious to what's around us. But our redeemed perspective allows us to live in, in the world, but not be of the world. Not get caught up in the evils of the world around us. So talking about this practically, I have five practicals for us. And I'm going to address kind of five different groups of people. So here we go. The first timers, for those visiting with us, or maybe you're studying the Bible, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this is the first time. I want to reiterate that Jesus is your Redeemer. We can easily turn to other things or other people to find redemption, but we can only be truly redeemed in Christ. I encourage you to connect with someone, whether it be someone sitting next to you or someone that invited you, um, and ask them about their redemption story in Christ. Ask them to show you more of what the Bible says about the man and woman you were designed to be. You know, for, for the disciples, some of you, um, you know, you have, or many of you have, have given your lives to Christ. You're choosing to live for Him daily. My charge to you is to never outgrow the need for discipleship. God uses each of us to help us come to redemption, to help us realize that Jesus has redeemed us. Continue to seek advice from godly men and women. We all need help in one way or another. I want us to, to also invest yourselves in each other's lives. Go after relationships. I know that there are people that are maybe feeling this right now or have felt this in the past. You look at someone, you're like, man, I wish they'd ask me to get coffee with them. And the weeks go by. Man, I wish they asked me to get coffee with them. Or you see them go out with someone else. Man, why aren't they my friend? Why didn't they ask me to hang out with them? Go after relationships. Be the initiator. Men, we were designed to be cultivators and keepers. Are you cultivating righteousness in your relationships? Are you taking care of the responsibilities God has given you? Husbands and fathers, redemption means that we spiritually lead our wife and kids. You're leading, you know, this looks like uh, you can... Sorry. Um, this comes out in, in the fact that you're leading family devos. You want to set a godly precedence in your home. You're taking your wife on dates, taking care of her, meeting her needs. Single brothers, you're taking our single sisters out on dates to encourage them to be the women that God designed them to be. We should no longer be passive guys that sit on the couch in pursuit of comfort. Uh, Steve and I were praying on Friday and he used this term that I thought was so fitting for us men. He said uh, that redemption, or he, you know, I'd say that redemption means that we are no longer couch quarterbacks. We're not calling the shots from the couch. We're actually stepping up to lead. Rather than laziness and comfort being our goal, redemption means stepping up and loving God first and foremost. Then loving our family and friends and truly in our everyday lives, stepping up to speak up for God. Women, you were designed to be companions and suitable helpers. And by helper, which is a very poor translation of a Hebrew term, uh, ezer, I mean strengthener, sustainer, supporter, inspirer, perfect counterpart. Is this how you are in your relationships? Wives, are you strengthening your husband in the ways he needs to be strengthened? 
Single women, are you a source of inspiration and strength and comfort in your relationships, your friendships with those around you? Our culture, it idolizes the independent woman who can do all and be all without man and without deep friendships. Let's keep this mindset out of our family. God created you for relationship. Embrace the, re- the unique role God has given you. Use your words and your tone and your gifts in a life-giving way this week. Do something special for your husband or your coworker, your children or your friends. And parents, redemption is not just for you. God's redemption story is for your kids, for your grandkids, and for your friends' kids. I want to look at these pictures. Oh, I'm a, the pictures didn't come through. So I had some pictures of, of uh, Kylie and Ryan and Jameson all getting baptized last month. And, you know, these, it, it, was, it was such an encouraging time to see them go through their years. I mean, I, I wasn't in their lives as much, but as parents, you've been praying. Oh, there they are. Um, so up at the top there, you can't really see them, but that's Ryan and Kylie getting baptized at the same time. And then on the bottom, uh, more towards sunset, we see Jameson getting baptized. Ryan and Kylie and Jameson, they're redeemed by the blood of Christ. But you know what? They didn't get baptized and choose to follow God by accident. The redemptive work of Christ was modeled in their home. It was impressed upon them. Now I know there are parents here that did all the right things. And set all the right examples for their kids, but maybe didn't see the same outcome. Yet. Keep the faith, though. Look how long it took Solomon to realize that his, what his father said was true. Parents of preteens, junior high teens, and teens, I'm going to give you a special challenge for this week. An opportunity to put this into practice. Get yourself and your family to youth ministry night next Saturday night. The 17th at the SEA building. This is such a a perfect opportunity to come together and for your kids to not only see your own example, but to see the example of their friends' parents and even their friends that are choosing to follow Christ. This is setting an example for future generations, fifth and sixth graders. This is not just, I got to cook another meal again, seriously. It's about spiritual growth. It's about the future of our church. Get yourself to youth ministry night. Before Pat and Ryan lead us in communion, I want want you to close your eyes one more time. As I read this final scene of our redemption story, in Revelation chapter 20, you don't have to turn there because your eyes are closed. We enter the scene of a battle between holy and evil armies. In verse 9 it says, Satan's army marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, 
For the older order of things has completely passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. The war has been won. God is victorious. Our redemption is complete. Amen. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 